Hello. This, 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 by, this, by the way, just before you begin, this is our 11th episode of the season, I believe. Well, welcome to the 11th episode of our of the season, the 11th and last uh, of the second season of Roraholics Anonymous. We're gathering here today on a slow news day in the United States of America, <laughs> January 6th. Uh, the over-under on uh, people storming the Capitol building is now at 1172. I'm going to take the over. Um, I'm here as usual with Dino Blandino. Yo. And uh, a, a very relaxed, robe and toweled, impossible Lomas greetings to you. Hey, hey, y'all. <laughs> uh, as our as our devoted listener knows, it's been a while since we've met. It's been a, a little bit over a month. The last time we talked was after the Quintricia monster was finally beheaded. Um, yes. But we wisely at that moment collectively came to the conclusion that there was no viable, logical reason to continue doing this. And so the mics fell silent, uh, but Uncle Ted felt it was necessary to have some sort of closure to this season. Um, so here we are to wrap it up, hmm. put a bow on the box that is filled with lion's feces. <laughs> Um, really, I mean, you really had to kind of stuff it in there with your boot to get it all in. So without any further ado, I'm gonna, we're going to do a little quick around the horn to just kind of hear how how our panel has been faring during this last month of uh, 2020. We're now into 2021. So Blandino, what, what's been going on? Did you, did you watch those Lions games? How's, how's, <clears throat> how's little Dino faring? Um, I'll start with little Dino who really only watches football now or, or has watched football according to his fantasy team. Um, so not much lions. Uh, he's, he really doesn't give a shit about the lions anymore. Um, and I'm proud of him for that. I'm still aspiring towards his level of maturity. He's, uh, 12, of course. Um, has he adopted a team or he's just adopted his, uh, no, 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 his fantasy just, team? It's all, it's all transact purely transactional. Yeah. He, uh, although I, um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think we, we did our last podcast, right. When Patricia was fired. Um, and that was already a month after the sort of Roraholics end of the season. Which I always think, you know, there's a collective sense of when we when Detroit fans know the season is over and then when the season's the season actually ends. So I think this year it was I think we waited to like mid season, which was pretty far in before we just all lost complete interest. Um this Is that year. the lame duck section of the season then we refer to it as? Yeah. <laughs> so I you know the last game, the last few games, I really didn't, I, I, you know, of course I, I knew the score and everything, but I didn't watch that much of, I mean, it was almost, it, it felt like the season just got, you know, to a point of ridiculousness. And the only thing that could have been, would have been more ridiculous was had they actually won that last game, which they were close to doing and like, you know, destroying their, um, their draft pick. Um, which 
I believe now stands at seven, could have gone as high as like 13. Oh, wow. Big, smart loss for the Lions. Or 11, something like that, but significant. Right. That's the difference between ruining a a mediocre football player's career versus like an above average football player's career. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) We might, I mean, if, if we're lucky, we might get to destroy a potential elite quarterback's career. Wow. <laughs> what, what do they have? Are, are you guys following? Like, what? where's Justin Fields going? Is he going to be two or three? After the bowl game? I, I well, get... is Lawrence consensus one? Yes, 100%. And then, and got, then Fields has to be two or three. What's I that? think after that last game, I think he's – there were some doubts about him going too, and I think those were answered. He's just he's too explosive. I I actually think he's a little less steady if you look at him all season. He struggled against like Northwestern and a couple other big like one other Big Ten teams that you're like, eh, shouldn't he just be dominating them? But those teams were actually pretty good. And then what he did in in that last uh, you know, playoff game that bowl game was he's just his his ceiling is kind of through the roof yeah so well and that reminds me if we want we could do a qb1 beyond the light segment i have watched all <laughs> but the final two episodes of the first season Dude, i am the into final it episode i'll sign first. on right now that's great yes yeah, all right awesome. we'll, we'll get to that later in the in the episode yeah filled with spoilers <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Okay, so um, so all right, and so but did you watch Dino? Did you watch the last few games? I, um, did you start missing games? I did start missing some games. I, I what's I, my answer is I don't totally remember. I think the TV was on. I guess this is kind of like where you know the alcoholic who's going through the period they can't really remember what they've had to drink they just know it hasn't been as bad lately as it as it is earlier in the season but i'm not going to sit here and say like dino went clean dino was totally on the wagon dino was watching no roar the roar is on okay the roar the game's on as to whether Dino's in the room or Dino's folding some laundry or Dino's coming in and out of the room it's just kind of you know it's always on man but it's like an alcoholic being like well i I wasn't drinking i was passed out like that's your that's the best claim you can sort of make or just kind of constantly sipping but a little too lazy to really commit just you know little sips here and there but nothing uh yeah it's hard it's hard it's really hard i think there's a certain level of dysfunction and commitment to roaraholicism that you have to have to watch those last meaningless games. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Impossible Lomas. Yeah. Um, any, Any direct contact with Lions competitions over this last month? Hell no. No, sir. Wow. Uh, Give him a chip. Yeah, I made no effort to do that other than long after the day's football had been played to open up my ESPN app and glance down the scores and really no more than just note 
the def- the score of the Lions defeat, you know, not even really bother to check the stats because I'm like, really, what's the point? And uh, so, no, I, I haven't watched any of those games. It didn't feel like there was any point in watching any highlights packages. Like, also, what's the point of that? You know, the thing that I wanted to talk about, that, that's because, you know, a lot of what we were saying before we started taping was like a lot of like doom and gloom for Detroit sports and all that. I do, I do want to say, I feel good about our organization, about Roarholics Anonymous, that we've, it works. If you follow the, the, the plan and you go do the pod and through the steps, it works because now two years in a row, we have gotten to a point in the podcast well before the actual season is over, where we just sort of individually arrive at the obvious conclusion of like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm not because really, when you think about it, to do this show and kind of do the thing that we do, there's it's like there's a certain level of performance that you kind of have to get up for, which includes a certain level of actual of investment of time and energy in thinking about the Lions, maybe even looking up the stats or like watching that, you know, just to have like stuff to talk about. And I think we all arrived at the conclusion for the second season in a row about halfway through like you know what this isn't worth it like as much fun as it is to do this it's been the joy has been sucked out of it by the lions so we're the podcast that what we do is we just disintegrate halfway through the season yeah Yeah. and just kind of disappear without any explanation and then peevishly return for one final episode but you know i think true list true fans true listeners will understand exactly what we're talking about yeah there's a name for that condition Roholicism. <laughs> it would be like Terry Gross with fresh air being like, "We're gonna, we're done for the week. Well, it's Tuesday, but we'll we'll see you next Wednesday." This is right. talking to all these people. It's just pointless. You know <laughs> what? I'm just not into this anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna quit, but I don't know. I'm sick of asking people questions. <laughs> sick of pretending like I care. Yeah. I don't. I'm done. <laughs> I haven't cared for years. Anyway, wow. uh, so well, good for you. Good for so you. I feel so. I feel like after two years in the program, um, that at least for now, it's worked. And I feel you know I, I didn't feel any real angst at all. Like reaching a kind of a, a level of not caring that feels very natural and real and actually sustainable. At least until the approach of next season but at least for now i'm like it's all good even given the dismal state of state of detroit sports wow well that's a that's a that's a real success story yes yeah. it's a ringing endorsement Huzzah. what do you think how how do you think roraholics helped you specifically like what aspect do you think helped you conquer this year's you know addiction well, let's be honest. It's a form of, it's it's a form of talk therapy, you know. We're yakety yakking on this pod, um, and I, th- you know, what I think it is. I think it's, it channels, what otherwise would be a kind of disparate and angry roar energy, with without any guide or purpose that just sort of permeates to the point of like irritation that the podcast 
was able to focus that negative lion's energy into doing these discussions, which I think kind of give them their their flavor in a lot of ways. And then, but it's kind of like a fuel that's spent. Do that long enough, and I feel like okay, I've I've said what I need to say. You know, like I think we just all concluded. Like, what more is there really to say about? Yes, it's you know the season is effectively over as far as we're concerned. Podcast yeah. done. It was an abysmal campaign. Yes, that really there was not. It wasn't interesting either. Five yeah. and eleven is among the saddest records you can have. <laughs> right, it's like, like the once D you minor get to four of and twelve. Once you get to four and twelve, like you're unambiguously super bottom of the barrel five and 11 is like a couple fumbles away from not having double digit losses well and it's also more than that it's also kind of like you had the talent maybe you just didn't have the discipline or will like you're kind of just like a shitty organization shitty team as opposed to okay you just had one of those years where you just like fell to the absolute bottom it's like no you could have been better you just didn't care enough or you just didn't bring it Right. There's no like five, shame. unless there's you're a, a five and 11 team that it's like clear, like they overachieved. Right. There's no five and 11 team that like, it's impossible for you to have been eight and eight. Right. Right. Like this team totally could have been eight and eight and they, yeah, were, they were not. See, I disagree with Jer. I feel like the season ended well for Dino in terms of I, I cared less, but I know if I'm honest with myself, it's only because a little after midway through the season, we were four. So it's we were four and five at a certain po- um, at a certain point, right? We we uh, let's see, yeah, one. Okay, oh yeah, they were four count. and five after the Washington game. After the right after the Washington game, that's correct. And they were five so, and six after the Bears game. No, five and no, seven. no, 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 five, five and seven. seven. Yeah. It, and so there was still. Okay, so after the Washington game, when we were four and five, I remember that Washington came kind of, we won 30 to 27 after over the football team. And uh, that got, that kept me hooked. The next week when we lost 20 nothing to the Panthers and then 41 to 25 to the Texans, two really bad, bad teams, um, that was kind of it. Even though we did come back and beat the Bears, I don't think there was there was still too much. We we knew what this team was a hundred percent, and um, at that point, I mean, I think we already knew. We knew they were terrible, but somehow they were still five and six in a season where the playoffs were expanded and they weren't that far out. But. Um, let me put it this way: If they would have ended up like seven and seven, I would have definitely still been watching the games. It's it's only because they lost those late games so convincingly. To if they had beaten the Panthers, for example, or one other crappy team, I know that I would have like dialed it back up. You know, but they. I- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Moment. At this point for me, I mean, it's been a long while since I've watched a Lions game, like from start, you know, from start to finish, actually saw the whole thing through. And I got to be honest, even the thought of making the effort to do that and like watching the Lions 
kind of repels me at this point. Like it doesn't there there I, I it used there used to be a fun in it because you know win or lose whether it's like incredibly like horrible or somehow miraculously good at least there's something to talk about and it's kind of fun to listen to Lominus all that but it got to the point where it no longer was just depressing yeah just, because the lions sucked what I'm saying yes. is I call bullshit on you what that you if they had won if they had ever I know that this is like impossible essentially but if they had somehow pulled ahead to like a six and five record you would have been listening to lomas as if your life depended on it Uh, maybe you would have been tuning into him to real lomas impossible lomas would have been just hooked up to real lomas and and you know sitting at his desk just listening to play by play which is somewhat more pathetic than actually watching when you're like sitting doing hey. nothing, hey, just listening to the game like it's 1943, you I, know, I actually, creative. I make pictures in my mind. <laughs> I think if you Jeremy sits bit. there with a football and reenacts the play as he's listening to it, and Cephas with a catch. Uh, I have little. I have. It. I have little football football figurines that I like move around yeah. the board. <laughs> But I think one of the things, though, that made the season sort of especially pathetic was that, you know, like they, as Dino said, like at one point they were four and five or whatever they were, but like they had precisely one, that was my wife, ladies and gentlemen, um, they had precisely one good win, which as the season went on, wasn't even a good win because Arizona didn't even make the playoffs. Right. I guess you could then say that the Chicago win was a good win since Chicago made the playoffs, but that was like a miraculous victory. The, the, so, so the thing is, is that even like during the whole period, we're in that kind of purgatory where like they haven't been eliminated yet. Right. They're still in the picture. We already knew. Yes. Right. That they were really bad. Yeah. Yes. I mean, right. Two of their victories were against the, their three of their victories were against the Jaguars, the Falcons and Washington. And they had one convincing win all season against the worst team in the league. And so the thing is, is that when we finally got to that letdown, there was something embarrassing about it because we already knew all along, like we were barely able to even pretend that the inevitable letdown was anything other than 100% imminent. And so just, there's been years where like they ultimately break your heart and ultimately fall out of the playoff picture where there is some level of like, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're the worst team that's going to make the playoffs, but they'll make, and this year they were just, they were, the moment Galladay got injured, they, there was no hope for this team. Yeah, sure. I mean, listen, listen, um, I'm a little distracted, but I can I can see that Dino's eating a corn on the cob. Yeah, he is. It looks good. My yeah. wife brought me corn on the cob in okay. the middle of the podcast. Yeah, what are you What are you gonna do? Not what, eat it? What better way to honor the yeah. sort of the the strength and fortitude of the American political system than a little <laughs> corn on the cob? Yeah, yeah we could. It's, it's very, something we can all agree on. It's, it's very true. American. It's like Delicious. Tom Petty. That's right. I sort of I forgot what I was gonna say beyond the corn on the cob. Um, well, well, can I do a little? Do you guys? I, I want. Go ahead. Before Dino. we move on, at, like based on Brother Ted's uh, comments, there, 
Yeah, I think we all knew going into the season, this was not a very talented team. I Does anyone remember their predictions at the beginning of the season? We could probably yes. guess. I think so you I, were 4-12. and 12. I said 4-12, and 12, I think. Well, Did but, you? I don't remember what I said. I'm pretty sure I said 4-12. I think we all picked pretty low numbers, but there was some chatter before the season that the Lions could be the surprise team in the NFC East. Like, even like the sports guy was saying stuff like that, you know? There was for some reason, but we, I, I believe we knew better. We were I, not. I want to cool. say that I think I can, this is what I wanted to say. I think I can honestly say that at no point during this season, meaning from the earliest, you know, preseason, whatever, till the present moment, I don't think I ever felt at any moment like the Lions have a chance of doing anything at all. You know, like there was no feeling of that whether they won or lost, there was just something about the way the whole thing started that really felt like not just same old lions, but somehow not even talent wise worse necessarily, but just like depressing to the point where I'm like, it's kind of really getting to be a struggle to engage with this content. And, uh, um, well, the, yeah. yeah. I mean, the other right. thing about the other thing about this team is they were very clearly a worse version of last year's team, which yes. was a bad team. Right. Because the only mystery, right? The asterisk on last year's team was that Stafford was having his arguably his best season, and then he got injured, and they and they lost out. And so there was this question of like, well, if he comes back and is at that level, then let's see. And yep. he was not at that level for whatever right. reason. Some of it was Galladay's injury probably, but then it was just clear. Like this is a, a bad team that has gotten worse. Yeah. And, and this was, is an, an historically bad defense that if you look at the defense, I don't even know if there's, I was going to say, I don't know if there's a single NFL player on the defense um, I would definitely, I think I would definitely say there's not an NFL starter on the defense. Oh, it's very good. One of those people should be starting in the NFL. Not a single one has the talent level based on their, their play for the Lions. I, now, I'm reserving the right to say some will definitely be let go or traded and then emerge for a good team as a solid player, like right. Kyle Van Noy. I'm certain that will happen. But right now, looking at these players, the the it's I think the the defense, the talent is it's just bare. It's empty. There is nothing to build on. They'd be better off shipping everyone and just sort of flipping flipping it all like you know, turning in the cards and just taking a brand yeah. new you know deck. The the last time I remember feeling any true like football fan excitement in a genuine way for the lions was the playoff game against Dallas where they lost, but got jobbed, you know, on that blown pass interference call. Cause that was, uh, that was a good team, right? That yeah. was donkey Kong, I guess at his peak, who knew that was going to be his peak, but like it kind of was, and they had really a, a really good defense overall, you know, yeah. anchored by donkey Kong. And like, I think they were number two, no defense. And, you know, the offense was was also pretty good. Stafford was playing well. And they should have won that game against Dallas. Like, since then, 
I, I may, I, maybe they went back to the playoffs since then. I can't remember, but it just feels like it's been basically all, all downhill. Like, I don't remember another moment like that when it was like, yeah, this seems like a team that's actually coalescing and has a core group and, you know, has an identity. And then that just so quickly disappeared. Like what the hell happened? And it's been like that ever since it feels like. Yeah. Can I do a little statistical deep dive on their defense this year? Yes. Please do. So, yes. I, I want so we know that yards per game, the Lions had the worst defense in the in the league this year. And I wanted to get a sense. Roar. I wanted to try and get a sense. Well, how good were the offenses that they faced? Mm-hmm. And so I went through their whole schedule and looked nice. at each team's ranking in terms of yards per of offense per game. Mm-hmm. And the Lions averaged their opponent averaged in the 13th to 14th spot of offense. So slightly above average. Mm -hmm. So nothing special. Right. Right. But then there's the weird kind of additional, I don't know, it's like a quantum statistical thing almost, which is, but they played the Lions and that has Mm -hmm. skewed their standing. So then I did the following. Here's a, I'm gonna give you just a couple examples of this. So the Bears who they played twice, they the Bears were the 26th best offense in the league. Not a good offense. But on the two games that they played against the Lions, if that had been their average of yards per game, they would have been the 12th best offense in the league. Right. They played 14 spots over. Mm, right. The Packers, the Packers who they played twice had the fifth best offense in the league. But if you take just the games they played against the Lions and that's their average, they averaged 35 yards better than the top offense in the league. (laughs) Minnesota, who they played twice. Minnesota was the fourth best offense, but against the Lions, they averaged 85 yards per game higher than the best offense in the league against the Lions. So... And wait, let me just give you one last one. Yeah. The Bucks in that crazy game <laughs> averaged they they had 204 more yards of offense that game than they did on average throughout the rest of the season. If you take that game out of them and find out their average, they drop from the 7th to the 14th best offense in the league <laughs> just by getting rid of the Lions game. Wow. Wow. So that like the the Lions base, I mean, we've joked about this before that like Mitch Trubisky owes like the fact that he's remotely getting playing time is only because he gets to play the Lions twice a year. But there's a bunch of teams here that basically all got this Lions bump by playing the Lions. And I looked at a couple of the only team that I could find that had was below average was that Jaguars game where the Lions really beat their ass. Mm-hmm. That they actually did worse than the other games. But that's and the, the Jaguars were notably tanking all year, right? Yeah. I mean, especially once their Gardner Minshew went down, they were hardcore tanking, and they and they won. They beat out the Jets for the number one pick, right. and it looks and just as a lion, you know, as a Lions fan, a taste of what might be Jacksonville tanked this year. They are, um, I think they won one game. Uh, they're 1-15, which is terrible, but 
They've got Trevor Lawrence coming on board along with, rumor has it, Urban Meyer as their coach because guess what? He wants to coach an elite quarterback and they've got like $80 million in cap room next year. So they have a chance to completely rebuild. Now, I'm not saying that's going to work necessarily, but if what would you rather be a Jacksonville fan or a Lions fan today? Well, of course. <laughs> wow. Goes without saying. I mean, I'd rather be a Hitler youth soccer team fan than a Lions fan. I mean, I'll I'll take it. I'll take the the ritual at the beginning of the game. The Ham I mean, the Hamburg Hitler youth were a great team. I mean, my yeah, favorite great discipline. Squad. The Black Forest Strikers. <laughs> the Black the Schwarzwald strikers with the Blitzkrieg. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that was a bad defense the Lions had. So yeah, so so in other words, I think if you if you line all the equation equations up just so, it equals the Lions suck gigantic balls all season long. It was and a bad defense. That is that is a historically bad defense, maybe. And um, yeah, shame really. That I mean, was place- put together by a GM coaching pair that specialized in defense and the right. calling card was you know defensive coordinator we're going to build this defense and it's almost astonishing how badly they did like I, I it's hard to imagine it going worse yeah because yeah. again not that it we should have to remind anyone but this was a team that had made the playoffs three of four uh, years with under Caldwell and the previous administration before Quintricia showed up. And so they took a competent defense and absolutely turned it into garbage to the point where I think the only reason, by the way, people may have had some hope like, oh, maybe the Lions are dark horse is because as bad as our defense was, our offense is not hopeless. It wasn't great, but... There's talent there, right? There's there's what to build on. There's what to believe in. And they, I think some of the, you know, some people may have looked at our draft and said, well, they got a lockdown corner now, so you never know. You put that in the modern, you know, against a modern defense and you take away the number one receiver. And it's 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 hard to even talk about or, or process, but... The fact that Akuto was seen as the sure thing in the draft, right. th- that he was like, well, it's not a great idea to draft a cornerback at um, at three, but okay, at least you get a really good cornerback, and that's not that's not nothing. Right. And in fact, it ended up being just less than nothing. It ended up being such a minus. He was unplayable until he mercifully got injured. And um, and it just, the only thing preventing me from just completely hating on him is just seems like a sort of young, innocent lamb who didn't know what he was getting into. Um, I mean, how is this possible at this day and age with so much scrutiny on these guys and so many at least supposedly sophisticated metrics and systems of measurement or whatever, evaluation, how does this happen? I who would who's the last guy who everyone assumed was like, yes, this is a sure, absolute sure thing, you know, lockdown, whatever. 
Tony Mandarich. And, and, and then he's a bust literally from day one. Like, is there, when, when's the last time that happened, really? It's, it just seems so bizarre. Like, how is that? Is it possible that there's some injury at play or he like he still could be good or is, is it done? Is he just done? I don't think he's done. I mean, first of all, we don't know if was this injury possibly a nagging thing for a bunch of the season Maybe. He playing through it. But I think the other thing, Jared, you said a bunch of episodes ago, like you put Richard Sherman in his prime in that secondary. He'll do a lot better. But like when there's no pressure, when right. the linebacking core is unequivocally like consensus, the worst linebacking core, it's just you're there's nobody who's good enough for that. And yeah. you also just saw I mean, you yeah. saw in all the weeks that he missed that it was as bad or worse putting out these, some of these guys who were veterans that yeah, right. would seem to like, it's just hopeless. It's almost like you can't No, I'm not ready to, to write the guy off, but it, it obviously does not look good. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't look good. And I think that, right. It, the other reason it's hard to blame him is, is what Ted said. It's just in a defense that look, that is such a disaster I don't know what it even looks like. Unless you're like an edge rusher who just gets to the quarterback, it's hard to even know what it looks like to play well because everything looked wrong. The schemes, the t- the team was, they weren't coordinated. They weren't playing together. Every, just, all coverages were blown coverages. It just, nothing even made sense. It was such a, like, I'm, I'm tempted to say Okuda may have had a somewhat rough year, but could have actually excelled this year in a better setting in it under better coaching and a better team with a, with defensive leadership who could have kind of led the way. And instead you put a guy who's a little shaky on a team. That's, you know, a a defense that's this bad. And it's, you know, it maybe it's almost guaranteed for a rookie to fail in those circumstances. It certainly doesn't help. Yeah. It does. It raises a question that I've always wondered about that I guess scouts would be able to talk about, which is, right, so he played at Ohio State, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I always wonder, like, he obviously played on a defense in which everybody on that defense was elite in terms of, like, coming out of high school. Yeah. And I wonder if they if there's a way that scouts figure, whereas, like, if you find – a cornerback who you think may be just as good, who's playing at like a really mediocre program. If there's some sense of like, Oh no, no, that guy's actually gotta be better because he's getting so much less help. I wonder how they, I wonder how they figure that. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, this was the first time, like imagine what it was like for him looking around and being like everybody else on this defense is a really bad defender in terms of the league average. Whereas the year before on Ohio State, probably every defender on that team was like top 10 in the country in their position or something like that. In high school, right. I mean, there's a, obviously a massive difference between the levels, but in any case, yes. I mean, just for, it seems like the, the certainly a, a less than ideal situation for a young corner to come in. <laughs> And poss- quite possibly the worst situation, <laughs> just when all the pressure's on you and everyone's kind of looking at you and you're really put in a bind. And, you know, who knows, like 
yeah, maybe you're not the best corner who's ever lived. Like, you know, and, and this is just too much for any, but any even really good corner coming out of college to really deal with, given the Do you think he's Googled yet? Do you think he's Googled yet? Like if the, you know, <laughs> if you transfer in college and you, you just lose a year of eligibility, if he's like, if I just, if I just transfer to Green Bay and sit out a year, can I just be on their team? Or can he just go back to college for another year he just after goes, being in the pros? They're like, if you agree to bag groceries. <laughs> or you know what? Go to graduate school and then somehow play that way. Like, every, isn't every now and again, there's like, oh, he's actually in graduate school. Right. Yeah. Fifth year. Corner is like, you know, pursuing an, a master's in urban <laughs> planning or whatever. But it's like the person who's like, I'm going to get a PhD in creative literature because they're just hoping somehow, <laughs> like if I get more degrees, it'll advance me in life. And he's just like, I'm getting an, I'm getting an MFA in football. <laughs> You know, like I just, it, it's somehow going to pay off. Football performance art. Football. Right. <laughs> well, that I think is what the Lions are are doing. So you're in the right place. They're bad even It is bad. football performance art. Um, bad art. Definitely not football. It's Dadaism. It's football. <laughs> but Go yeah, ahead. I... Go ahead. The Akuda Riddle, it's, it's a great one. We don't know. It, it's kind of like the Stafford Riddle after... How, after a million years like is he would he be could he be much better on a better team with better coaching etc it's just a, a team that's not the lions or have we dragged him down or has he sort of dragged the lions down by not being some superstar elite um yeah it's 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 a little weird to have that conversation about a cornerback and i'm not like smart enough about football or knowledgeable to be like well see it's all his hip flexibility he's not fluid enough in the hips on his turns you know like that's the crap they're breaking down at the combines and whatnot and i don't know all, all i i look at it like this just his public comments his tweets they started all i know is about week five or six he started tweeting and sort of referencing his deep faith a lot in, in God, which I think is just a sign that he's like, he's turning to a higher power. He realizes what he's in and he needs God more than ever at that point. It's like, this ain't Ohio State anymore. I am, I've gone from a proud winning football tradition to just loserville and I am now part of it. I am, I am immersed in it and I am, I am one with it and I, I can only pray at this point another way to think of it is is kind of like what we were saying before this is most likely the first time in this guy's life that he wasn't that he isn't by far like the best guy on the field at his position you know all the way going back to whenever he started football certainly high school through college right just being like in mass like the master of his domain right on the field celebrated yeah. you know part of a winning system and tradition and all the rewards that that brings and now finding himself in a situation where on some level he must understand that yes part of what's going on here is that this defense is just really really bad like you know anyone would struggle but but i think the even worse thing is that i can only really i can only assume that that has to do considerable psychological damage 
to your confidence, even if somehow intellectually, you know, like, yes, our defense is bad. It's not just me. Right. But still, you are still failing on a personal level, even if it's not entirely your fault. But it, that's just got to be horrible and do a massive amount of damage to you, to your confidence as a player. And, you know, can you come back from that? Hopefully maybe, I mean, it's just one year, but man, that's got to really be bad. And and everyone's saying mean things about you and the press is taking you down. Even Dino over here is, you know, (laughs) talking smack. So we all are, we all have. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was, he was on Hoff's hit list. Oh yeah. That'll make you go full Kitna. He went full Kitna. <laughs> well, what's He's like what, we, we saved more guys that year. What I think more is soul. kind of yeah. Go ahead. More souls were saved in that campaign. It made my rookie of the year. <laughs> what I think is kind of interesting is you have someone like Okuda who, you know, he didn't come into the league in his first couple games with, like, a ton. It didn't look like he had a lot of swagger and, like, this is my league now and I'm coming after it. I'm, like, you know, he just looked like a serious guy who was going to come in and hopefully do his job. It didn't It didn't work out. And then it seemed like maybe he didn't have a reserve of confidence to draw on. It seemed like that went away pretty quickly. And then you have other guys. Like, this year, our big free agent acquisition like midway through the year was Everson Griffin. Do you guys remember him? No. He's still on the team actually. Was he the but, guy that came from like Minnesota or Green yes. Bay or whatever? Okay. He came from uh he was on Minnesota, then Dallas and this year he played for Dallas, but he's he's made four Pro Bowls. He actually made the freaking Pro Bowl in 2019. Like this guy is no joke. Right. And so he came and and he kind of like momentarily injected this like he had a lot of attitude coming in he's like whoo they they're gonna be sorry for letting me go oh you yeah know, right. be like i'm coming back and i'm like we're because right. you know going up against minnesota like division rival and he was just talking a lot of smack and i was like yeah let's go let's go we need this like maybe this veteran's gonna like light up this defense and instead you just after about two weeks you just didn't hear anything from him like, you know, he was already just Googling, like, Hawaii vacation. When will this end? Like, how quickly can I get out of Detroit my, with my family and just end this? Like, he shut up really quickly yeah. and just realized he had gone from, you know, he had gone from competency in uh, Minnesota to you know, although they had a bad, I don't know why they had such a bad season this year, but they've made the playoffs, you know, right. a bunch in the past. So to just shit. I have a question, by the way, the, uh, if you're a pro bowler, what exactly does that mean? Is that equivalent to like all NBA? Is that the idea that, oh, you're no, a it's pro equivalent to the all-star game to the all-star game. Okay. Is there an equivalent to all NBA in the NFL? I think, there's, a, I think there's an NFL first all team pro. and second it's team. It's all pro, dude. Okay. It just it seems to me like among the different sports, it's definitely all NBA that has the most sort of glory to it, the most cachet. You know, like if you're all NBA, first team, like everyone knows it. It's sort of a big deal. Whereas, you know, and in baseball, I guess it's like there's all, all-star, golden glove, uh, you know, the individual category winners, but like, 
do they have an all sort of all major league thing? Like if they do, I'm not aware of it. And the mm-hmm. same thing with like in football, like, I don't know who's all pro, you know, like, I don't really know who are considered to be on those tiered teams of the league's best players. It just seems to be not as like sexy and cool a thing. Whereas, you know, all NBA is, am I wrong about that? Yeah. Cause there's only five guys who are all NBA. Okay. So, well, no, I mean, there are, there are three teams, but no, five, but first team all NBA. Five guys that make five first guys. team all NBA. Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying that's like a yeah. well published. Like it just has more cultural reach. It might be true. So oh yeah, do... I think as an all star, it's really hard to keep track of who makes all pro in the NFL because there's right. always like a lot of injuries and other other guys like sort of sub in. So it's definitely not as elite. Like in right. the NBA every year, it seems like there are some really good like high scoring players like um zach levine last year averaged like 25 points and did not make the not even close right? you know something like yeah. that which is sort of you think in the nfl like anyone with those stats is just getting in like right um so here i i'd like to i want to cover two more things before if we want to go to about 90 minutes we got a half an hour yeah so the first of them which is you know we were just talking about the NBA and because of the weirdness of COVID and everything, we are, we're in that overlap part of the year now. And there's been a lot of discussion in our text thread about the Pistons. And as we all know, I think we should devote a little bit of time to talking about not just how bad the lines are, but how bleak, what a wasteland the Detroit sports landscape is right now. Um, so I, I'm going to hand that over to you guys for a few minutes. I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I guess I'll chime in. Um, I mean, that's an absolutely accurate description. This is a, a fallow period uh, in the, on the Detroit sports scene. Um, trying to think of a, a comparable period in the past, even the recent past. I mean, I know I kind of remember, you know, growing up in like the 70s. I kind of feel, I mean, you know, I was just a kid, so my memory isn't crystal clear, but just a sense of like the Tigers were really bad. You know, the Tigers of like Champ Summers, Johnny Walkenfuss, nothing against those guys. They were cool, but, you know, the the Tigers were just bad and everyone knew it. Lions, 70s Lions, bad. You know, 70s Wings, I don't know. Were they good? Were they bad? I can't, I don't know. They were terrible. They were the dead wings. They were the worst okay. in the league. And then the Pist- 70s Pistons as well, just like not, you know, nothing. Like not a, not a com- competitive team, right? So maybe that this feels a little bit like that now, kind of, you know, different context, but uh, just not a lot of nothing – nothing there after you know admittedly detroit has had its share of sports glory you know we're certainly not the most stricken sports city you know we've had our chair chair of championships and the tigers were you know at least getting to the world series in our recent memory that sort of thing so you know there are other places that that have been more starved overall in the grand is there any city right now that can compare uh yeah i don't i'm gonna say no like nothing not comes to mind that has at least three professional teams um nothing's coming to mind not really 
<laughs> I mean, let's we could think about that for a sec. I mean, New York has New York's been in a kind of rough spot for quite a while now. You got the Knicks. The Yankees haven't made a series in ten years. For them, that's like a huge deal. The Mets suck. Um, actually, but one of the hockey teams I think is is pretty good. Yeah, they had a bad football season for the and two ter- terrible football seasons. Right. And yeah. one of my oh, and the Knicks, who are so they're they're in. I feel like they've had a a pretty shitty run. Yeah, for quite a while. Although, when you throw in the Yankees, like twenty five World Series or whatever, right. it, it you know if you're a Yankees fan, it's a little it. Uh, Ten years since they've made a World Series is not like that big a deal. And I still and I think they're so good. And I think all that being equal, Detroit gets the nod for fucking sure. It's Detroit. Come on, it's like you know at least. I think so. I mean, I think the '90s were maybe the best era for Detroit. Like the late, like if you count '89, the Pistons championships, um, and then building up to the Red Wings and the Lions making making the playoffs a bunch of times, like that was probably the recent high water um, for us. But yeah, it's it's not. It went from the last ten decade was sort of bad and like yeah, Detroit sports are down to like whoa this year. It just looks it's it's like we're terrible. And if you want to throw in the local college teams especially football, Michigan and MSU, it's like, holy shit. We're like, we are just bottom of the barrel at everything. (laughs) That's true. Like I remember one thing I do remember from the seventies and early eighties is even when the professional teams were bad, at least you could count on the Wolverines. Yeah. Like at least Michigan football was going to, you know, dominate and end up in a significant bowl. And this was, Long before the days of the bowl saturation, the, the shameful bowl saturation. This was back in the day of like, you knew the bowls, the sugar, the cotton, the rose, the orange. And they yeah, made they one other one. And that was it. It's like, yeah, no, these are reserved for only the most dominant team. Okay. Like to yeah. get in one of these, it's a big deal. And people really cared about who won, like won the orange bowl. And it wasn't even necessarily like, they are now the national champion, although I guess it was declared. It was just like, yeah, we're the Orange Bowl champion this year. Yeah. You know? That's a significant thing on its own. And Rose Bowl champion, the granddaddy of them all. Like, if Michigan was in that, even though they lost usually more than they won, it was really exciting. And now it's like, yeah, no, not even not even that. Though their basketball team's good. Yep, yep. That is okay. – that may be actually the lone – Michigan team you can still sort of root for and and have some hope and that like yeah. that, hey this is a team that that is competent that you know is has good like very good talent but also what really well run etc like everything else just seems like such a mess although I will say like the Tigers at least they kind of um you know, they, they made it their last World Series in 2014. By 2016, it was like they had called it quits on that whole roster and yeah. decidedly went into rebuild mode, which is painful and it sucks. But at least there's direction and purpose there. Like now, I know Tigers fans who are pretty dedicated were like excited to see the first time so-and-so is being called up 
in pitching. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, that's what rebuilding is. You're not expecting to win. You're still expecting to lose, but you're hoping the young guys come through. And there, there's no shame in rebuilding. And yet, I think it's funny that Detroit sports teams like the Lions, you'll never hear the Lions say, like, yep, this is clearly rebuilding time. Or in for whatever reason, the Pistons never like were really reluctant to say that. Yeah. Also, like they just, although a much more successful franchise than the Lions, it's like good. There's nothing. I have a problem with that. There's nothing wrong with rebuilding. Sometimes it is absolutely the right thing to do, and it's the most honest thing you can do with your fan base is say, yeah, this didn't work out. We really have to rebuild, which means. Everything's on the table, right? There's no player that's safe. And that maybe that we can, if we want to, we can transition to, like, do we have, what is our hope for the future? I mean, mine, my only hope is that they land somehow a really great GM, which now that the words are leaving my mouth just sounds stupid because if the Fords still own the team, I don't even know what that means a great GM because we've never had one. And that maybe also begs the question of, is there such a good thing as a, as a great GM working for the Fords or were they, were, will they automatically become crap because they're working for the Lions and the Fords? But my only sort of excitement would be trading Stafford. He did finish the season, his last four games really strongly. So I think there are, Teams that would be interested, maybe a Denver, char- um, not Chargers, obviously, Colts, um, that could be interesting. Maybe you get a late first rounder for them. Um, and and then you suddenly have, you know, tons of cap space left, uh, some picks, and at least you can start over and, and try to land and draft a quarterback at seven, take a shot, and maybe you get uh, Josh Allen. Who the fuck knows? I have no, I have no rational reason for any hope. Nope. At all. I don't, I don't see anything. I mean, the scenario you said, I guess, is the best one, but I just, they're just going to be so bad for so long. Right. And I think this isn't actually rock bottom. No. Because rock bottom will be Stafford leaving or a much, or, even worse, like them holding on to a much diminished Stafford as he ages, and like really, like there's the Blake think Griffin, the Blake looking, Griffin of Matt Stafford's. Yeah, like I, I think we're looking at like a two and twelve. I mean, sorry, two and twelve. Maybe they'll just end early, like two and fourteen, three and thirteen season next year. Yeah. I mean, but so hitting rock bottom will be good, actually. Like that is the best move at this point. And the sooner that it happens, the better, i.e. just officially enter rebuild mode, as Dino has said. Yeah, I mean, we all agree on that, right? So let's let's talk about um, a world in which we find ourselves caring about football teams that have success. And that is one we're going to root for, like in the playoffs. What's that? Like, meaning, is there anyone we're going to root for in the playoffs? Oh, well, we could talk about that. I was going to say something else. Oh. But, yeah, let's get to the let's get to the, to the installment called Who Who Will You Cheer For Vicariously? Whose joy will you, will you 
sort of adopt as your own? Who are you pulling for? I have a definite answer as a Detroit fan. It's Buffalo all the way. Me I too. think we're the, they're the most like similar city to us. Um, cold as hell, just industrial, you know, shit upon. Haven't made the play. This is their first playoffs in a really long since '99, I think. So they even have a much longer no playoff streak than us, and uh, and it's just awesome to see what they've built there. Like they. They did it. They they took a shot at a, at a first round quarterback and just landed the fucking jackpot. They got a guy who um, I don't. What college did Allen even go to? It was like some Montana or something weird. And he's freaking awesome. And that's that's what you're hoping for when you're a crappy middling to bad team. You take your shot, and when it lands, this is just a really good team that is just absolutely dominating. Did you see what they did last week to the Titans? Oh, they kicked the shit out of them. Holy crap, the Titans yeah. are actually good. Like they have a they had a good defense and they absolutely destroyed them. So, I think it's just that has to be the team we're rooting for, at least for me. Yeah. I I always have I I know a lot of guys that are Packers fans. And the lines are so consistently irrelevant that it's not hard for me to root for the Packers. And also you get some NFC North pride. Right. You know, like right. then there are representative from the, you know, for the NFC. Um, but yeah, other than that, definitely the bills for sure. Definitely the bills. Yeah. I also would love to see the NFC East team go really far just to kind of humiliate the league. Because that was that was such a shit show that whole divi- that whole division. Right. Yeah. But um, um, do you have any anything in there, Uncle Lomas? Um. I mean, I you know I, I see the the allure of the Bills. Um, I guess I I, I kind of want to see if Mahomes can go back to back. You know. Sure. Like it's hard not to root for that guy. It's just so so awesome, and um, you know they were dominant all season long. So, how good is this guy? You know, I want to see more of it. Well, speaking of that, let's. Uh... And I just want to interject. Oh, I, I was um, completely wrong. The uh, the Bills dominated the Dolphins last week, but the Dolphins were playing, trying to play their way into a playoff game and actually had a supposedly good defense coming in. And it, the, the Bills put up 56. Right. That's a statement. That is a statement. That's a statement. So let's uh, let's talk. You know, this has been this episode has kind of wavered between you know sort of ho hum and some sort of group depression. Let's let's talk about uh, love of the game a little bit. Uh, something that we've discussed and shared, but not on this podcast really, which is the TV show QB One Beyond the Lights. Yeah, which has yeah. run for three seasons, in which. Uh, each season, you this show follows three kind of blue chip high school senior quarterbacks from around the country. We follow their campaign. It is mm-hmm. in addictive, irresistible programming if you have any affection for sports at all. <laughs> so I thought we could talk a little bit about that show and kind of end on a somewhat you know a positive, hopeful note. Yeah, sure. And then and then liberate our listener until next year. Um, 
Yeah, sure. I'll jump in. I mean, first of all, it's it's worth mentioning that it's created by the same guy and maybe team that did Friday Night Lights. Peter Berg. And, uh, yeah, Peter Berg. And so it has uh, a very similar feel to Friday Night Lights, if you were a watcher of that show. But like very there's depth to it. It's very well produced. Um, it, it almost feels like this. These could be characters from that show in some ways. And it really it's just a fantastic concept for this kind of bingeable, consumable TV. And so far as every year, there'll be a new fresh crop of QB1s to follow. You, you could run this show for endless seasons. Um, and as a way, maybe just to start the conversation, what becomes clear in the most interesting way, at least for me, is that going in, if you know nothing else, you know, okay, this is a show about some of the best high school quarterbacks in the league. And so you already have some sense that they're physically impressive and, you know, they're like really, really skilled at quarterback. And we all kind of know what that might look like, but what the show's really great at is showing their wider world, kind of what it takes to be a QB one. And right at the center of that are these QBs families. Yeah. Are just very interesting. And they're, it's not a big surprise that they're very invested in the in their son in in his in his status as QB one sort of taking the next step, but it's just the individual personalities are pretty awesome, and all across the spectrum. And in some ways, a lot of these people are very inspiring, like dads that are just like, yeah, I'm you know moms and dads that are like, yeah, I'm right here for you. Like this is a family affair, and it's kind of a big deal, you know, whatever. Like. And in some ways, of course, it can become ridiculous and sort of, you know, kind of absurd seeming at the same time. But that's a lot of what makes this show so awesome. So I want to ask, so in the three seasons, there's nine guys that we watch. Have you and watched all three? I have one episode less left of the first season. Wait, where did I don't you think find I've, the first Yeah, season? what did you find in the first one? It's on YouTube. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Because, okay. cool. yeah, I, Jared and I have not... Oh, you haven't us. watched the first season. Right, so couldn't Jake, find it. Jake Front. There's a guy in the first season who's on the Bills now, I think. Oh, yeah. Really? He's cool. a he's a backup. Jake Jake Fromm or something like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um but uh all right, so we cannot talk about those that season, but don't you you develop really strong feelings about these guys? Oh yeah, for sure. I um, just think it it it's made Yes. With such love for the game, the people who make this and the and the kids that play it, for the most part, with one I think notable exception, have such love for just getting out there and playing that well, it really, exception. especially for a Lions fan watching it, it just I think that's the crack part of it where it's like, oh right, this is why I love football. The excitement the thrill, the camaraderie the guys have, the just, there's one, I think the best example of what makes it a great show is the Sam Hartman guy in season two. Yeah, mm -hmm. so from South Carolina. The South Carolina dude who moves to a new school. He, he's Hartman. from somewhere else, like North Carolina, somewhere else, and his coach, his high school coach, takes a job at some, I think it's a prep school, like some private school that went like 0-10 the previous year. And 
Sam Hartman is a senior is an incoming senior who's already committed to Wake Forest to to playing uh, being their quarterback, and he follows his head coach down to this program that hasn't won a game like is absolutely terrible, and that's going to be a senior season, and it really does sort of play out like a like a real life bad news bears where he gets there and the receivers literally can't catch a pass at the beginning of the season. And just through really grueling hard work in the South Carolina heat and humidity, just like grinding it out, this excellent coach and awesome quarterback who has like a super, super great leadership qualities turns the team into like, I don't know what they went at the end of like nine and three, but they're just awesome. And it's only like one player different. And you just see like how exciting it is for these kids who lost so much to suddenly win. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, that part of it is sort of like everything you can hope for. And I think kind of, you know, gets everything that's great about the series and great about almost the game into condensed in that one character in that same season however you kind of see the opposite side which is this quarterback real mitchell who right. i don't know ted ted did you want it did you have any thoughts on him real saga well the i mean the, so one of the other things that really struck <laughs> me about the show is that you also see what we all under would have known beforehand but it, it's so pronounced when you see it is is kind of how class and just how the kind of money and investment that's involved. And so you have the program that Real Mitchell's in, that John Bosco or whatever in Southern California. And that team is literally getting on planes and flying across the country to play high school football. On ESPN. On ESPN. And there's a few programs like that. In the first season, there's this team in Las Vegas that's, that's won the national championship three years in a row. And it's like a college program, Yeah, you know? And so the, the real Mitchell, the real Mitchell's on that. And it, and it seems like he was a weird guy. I kind of, my sense was that of all the guys that I've watched in the show, he was the one that was most thrown off by having cameras following him around. Mm, Yeah. I think it made him really uncomfortable. And then his season kind of had this sort of tailspin quality to it, you know, where he winds yeah. up essentially getting benched. Um, so I think, right, the backstory to him is, I believe, in his sophomore year, he had guided this John Bosco super program to, like, a California state title. So he was right. a he's big the deal, and he's coming into his senior season, and he's like a short quarterback who runs, like, a 4-4 or for like real super fast, super athletic, also really smart, like four point student, right. super mature. And throughout, as the season wears on, he starts slipping his, the he's just losing his confidence and making some bad throws. He's got, he's battling an injury and who is sitting on the bench behind him. Um, what's the guy's name? UJ Ugalele. Right. Yeah, or like, yeah, a sophomore quarterback who's six five two fifty. This absolute beast who is going to go on to be like an elite college quarterback. Like, and so suddenly he's being replaced halfway through his senior year, and it's it's 
and you suddenly start realizing, oh God, this is an 18 year old right. who's just being dumped by this program, whose coach is so focused on winning. He's just like, Real, you're not getting the job done. You're just not, I don't know what's happened to you. And it's like, holy shit, you feel like this guy's 18 going on 50. Like he's just been through a whole career and he's getting fired. Right. And it's just, yeah. it's really that's, sad. But the thing so, is, but, but that's a lot of what gives the show its power that at the same time that that is, it's devastating partly because, wow, this is a boy, you know, this is still a child, but also because the show is really good at building that world and that within the stakes of that world of being a QB one, there's a great deal of responsibility that comes along with yeah. it and pressure that you're well aware of. And it's the same for everybody, you know, now as, as uncle Ted says, and this is true, certainly it's on a totally level playing field. Some families and parents have many more recess resources than others, right? Like the Scalzos, my favorite family. <laughs> we'll talk about more in a minute, but um, yeah, Rial Mitchell, um, you know, one thing he seemed to lack whatever beyond whatever technical skills he might have been just efficient enough at to get beat out you know he didn't seem to have just that like total cockiness yeah that, that leadership that a lot of yeah. the other yeah that leadership thing like he did sort of he definitely was had some leadership qualities he was respected and looked up to like you said you know he'd had real success right he's a right. champion it's just when it really came to it and like the pressure came on uh, yeah, he just kind of seemed to knuckle under to it. And that's not and, and even... frankly, I think he's a little guy. I think he was hitting the wall in terms of talk about a guy who's always been the best any field he's stepped in on, who's been able just through sheer speed and talent and also smarts, but just a 4-4 running into playing against the best in the country and realizing there are guys better than me and a lot better and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to the NFL. Like, I think it was just pure talent that was showing out at a younger age than probably most. Or, or I don't know. It's just, it's, it, it's such, it's such an elite level. Like, it's probably similar to Olympic gymnasts when they're 13 or 14 who have been, like, so dominant. And then they're down to, like, the final group of, like, 30 or whatever in the country who's trying to make the 10, you know, woman squad or whatever it is. And they're just realizing like the difference between me, who's really freaking good. And like the 10th pick is like immense. I, I, so. I just, you know, I'm not going to get there. Like, I just can't, I've worked as hard as I can. And well, I, in any case, I mean, I don't he, did, have that. he had committed to Iowa State, like a legitimate program, and yeah. went there and competed and didn't, you know, and, and was the backup. And so he transferred to Temple. Yeah. And, you know, he still might, maybe he still has a chance. Uh, you know, I don't think he's still. Not at the NFL. Well, I mean. Not I as a guess... quarterback. <laughs> oh, okay. Jesus Christ, man. You're like shutting yeah. down his I, whole the other, so the other... I don't think he's starting at Temple. I mean, you at least have to he's start at Temple to be he's considered I was super intrigued by the guy from New Orleans who uh -huh. came from like a really not, yeah. like his single mom, right. their, their team's practicing. Yes. It looks like they're practicing in like a public park. Lance yeah. Legendary. Yeah. I liked him a lot. Yeah. And he's then awesome. I also really did not like 
though he's having Spencer Rattler was not a likable guy. Oh, I liked him. He's doing well. He's the classic, and you'll see this even more in season one with the kid from Vegas. He's the classic, like he's so fucking cocky. Yeah, that you just kind of got to take your hat off. Right. But he's also like, and it's interesting. He and the other guy from Vegas, they're super vain. Also, like they they they're super concerned with their literal physical appearance. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is a hilarious because sure. I really liked um, Justin Fields seemed like a really decent human. Agreed. Being. And right. he was the consensus number one quarterback in the country. He he comes right. across really well, like an old soul kind of. Yep, totally. Like he's very comfortable just being at the center of all this hype and just having right. a lot of people around him and just being very like still and yeah. sort of at the center of it, like, okay, this is all fine. And, like, just yeah. saving his energy for, like, game day. He's, like, got just a really easygoing personality. But when he steps on the field, he's clearly the leader right. and super competitive. But also just, like, very looks very coachable. And, like, yeah, I just think makeup-wise, he looks really good heading, in, heading towards the NFL. Like, he's also super seasoned. He knows how to deal with the media. He's, like, yeah. totally already in that regard oh for where sure. i agree spencer rattler gives off serious johnny lawrence vibes yeah <laughs> i would not be surprised if he was just giving kids swirlies and you know like, what spencer rattler sure. is actually a good villain name rattler. Like, he's got a yeah. great name he's yeah. Got yeah great name the rattler so, why don't we as the end i know you're really excited yes about this family from south florida <laughs> yes can you, can you talk a little bit about because oh, it's this... also the other thing just to add is that like <laughs> These guys are all our kids' age also. So this right. is, as you said, it's a really interesting window on parenting. Right. So, okay. My favorite family by far are the Scalzos. There's Nick Scalzo, 18-year-old QB1, and most prominently his dad, Jerry Scalzo, who is, you learn a couple, ep- like maybe during the first episode or maybe just a little bit in, he's also a coach on the team. So he's coaching his son. So he's like not just committed and part of it, but literally part of the team. And it's unclear and, why he's a coach. He doesn't seem to coach any position right. per se. He just seems to wear a coaching right. shirt and be like really into the game. But it's sort of like, oh, he must have contributed like fifty grand to the team, to the booster club. Maybe. And well, I think he's I think he's like receivers coach or like whatever he is. In any case, the point is that just the interactions between between uh jerry and his son the qp1 are just awesome they're just so funny like they're it's a very well-to-do family they they live in like a big house and have like a boat and are just kind of like living a, a pretty good life down in south florida and jerry scalzo is i looked this up he has a business of like revamping like hot rod cars or just something like very macho and kind of awesome you know and so in this context grows up nick scalzo who is you know a very privileged person by any standard and especially compared to some of the other qb1s you know who are from like less less rich circumstances but anyway He's a legit QB one. Like he has the talent. He's quite good. He's not in the same of the top tier. He's not 
of anywhere near like a Justin Fields or a, even a Sam Hartman. But still, he's a QB one. He ends up going to um, to Kentucky, like you know, not a major major program, but still, no joke. Anyway, the point being that Nick Scalzo just uh, or Jerry Scalzo, this guy's dad. He basically just like enables his son's absolute worst attributes. He eggs him on. <laughs> he eggs him on. So like, yeah, the, the and, and like the kid himself is not totally off putting. Like he's he has some charm to him and he's just kind of cocky, but in kind of an innocent way. But as part of the drama there is that as the season's going on, they out of the gate, they, they lose their first game and the team is kind of struggling and Nick Scalzo is struggling. So at some point during one of the games, he just starts kind of saying on the sidelines, like, all right, that's it. I'm calling my own plays. I'm calling yeah. my own plays. Like in front of like, the coach. He's right, just right. going absolutely insubordinate rogue. Yeah. And his and dad yeah. is right there enabling him. He kind of goes up to his dad and he's like, dad, I'm, I'm calling my own plays. And the dad's like, you get him, guy. You go do it. Right. You do what you have to do. <laughs> he's just like totally enables him. Yeah, it's, it's just like well, I like I think it's like in the first episode of the season where they're they've got this like crazy house with the pool and back and it's right like this, and he's doing backflips off the roof of their house right the pool right yeah. it's just like it's it's just like a weird it's like a ride at Disney World to be in their family <laughs> and there's that scene there's the thing where they show like he was in that crazy car accident that should have killed him. He's just right. like, he's going to be like a stunt man when he gets old. <laughs> I think there's a, or there's just like a 50% chance he's like in a wheelchair, like talking out of a robot thing. I am Nick Scalzo. <laughs> yeah, like he's just, he might do that to himself. But I don't know, oddly enough, my favorite scene in the Nick Scalzo journey is when the Scalzos, who, you know, it's like, if I remember correctly, it's dad who's like, you know, probably pushed 45 to 50, who's kind of out of shape, but still carries himself like he's a young buck. Kind of right. like a mom who was definitely like head cheerleader, pretty hot, you know, still still rocking it a little bit. But it's them in their mega church. Right. And, and it's a yeah, real mega church. And like <laughs> the kids, like Spencer and his, I'm um, not Spencer, um, who is it? Nick. The, Nick. Uh, Nick and his, and his sister, sister. just kind of like there, like, all right, right, we're in church. But the dad is just so into it. It's like they show the pastor, the mega church pastor on stage, and it's like this 65-year-old guy in like jacked. jeans and like a tight t-shirt who's just jacked. And he's like, Come on! Yeah! All right. He's like, you know, sort of pumping it up. And the dad is just eating it up. Like he's so fucking into it. He's like, Woo! Yeah! Like, it's like he leaves church like high five, like fist bumping his pastor, yeah. like let's get out there, let's get out there and just fucking dominate. Like that's well, sort of the attitude of the church. Well, there's the best moment of that is like a lot. They show them in there, and they're actually right. The pastor starts leading them in a song. Yeah, it's like very rousing, and they and so everyone's singing, and they cut over to the Scalzos, and Jerry Scalzo, the dad, is just full-throatedly singing yeah. like with his head thrown back just like so right. enthusiastically and meanwhile the kids are just kind of like yeah not participating like kind of looking off to the side it's just awesome but there's and something the yeah there's some like pure modern americana i don't know just that like right. it, it's a, it's a thing of beauty to watch yeah, yeah. 
Well, the other thing, I mean, that's a weird example of it, but the show does remind us of something we knew all along, which is that Jesus and football, it's like yes. peanut butter and chocolate. I mean, oh, yeah. they, and, and, and it's in part because, I mean, the other thing we didn't talk about is the percentage of these QBs that do not make it through the season. Right. A lot of injury. A lot of injuries. Yeah. Well, these guys are, I mean, there's, there's a number of them that do not play the last game of the season. Right. Including, and, well, I don't want to do spoilers, but it's, you are reminded that it is a fucking violent game, man. Yeah. And, and I, and I think the show also handles that really well. Um, just as like definitely acknowledging it in a pretty central way without mm -hmm. getting melodramatic about it or sort of, you know, yeah. like, yes, we, it's part of the game and it really just adds to the stakes. Like, these guys are good enough to be on the radar of major programs. You know, that's a big deal if you're, you know, as a player in your sport and, but just knowing like you could get injured at any moment. And a lot of these guys do. And who knows, maybe that's it for you. Like, wow, that just yeah. doesn't happen in other sports with nearly the same frequency. And uh, the show does that really well. There's a lot of Jesus for sure. And there's also just what really struck me is if you are a, black qb1 i didn't realize how often you're probably going to the barbershop like it's <laughs> they it's really weekly. like the barbershop it's right. every I, like it seems like every week there's a pregame ritual of like getting touched up at right. the top like they come in and their hair already looks awesome but it's like a touch-up it's like yeah constant maintenance and it's cool because it's almost like i mean you hear obviously there's the black movie barbershop and it's like part of kind yeah. of black culture obviously but as like a white person who's who part of the cool thing is sort of the inside look at some of the like the um lance legendary in new orleans but you see the role of like the barber kind of being like a confidant a a little bit of a guide someone who's sort of you know a male figure usually in, in these cases who's like always there for them and kind of someone to bounce off of and also all Other of them people, have played football also. Right. A lot of whom have played football. Right. And, it was, and it kind of a place to just like meet meet in a casual way, sort of meet the fan base and guys who are like, so you guys going all the way this year? It's a very, that's also a very cool thing. It's almost like the barbershop has kind of this like meditative quality almost where they're just chilling, but also getting some valuable stuff across. Um and I can't say, I don't think we ever see any of like the white QBs at a barbershop. No. You do a little bit, but it's <laughs> do we? not as much. It's not yeah, much. yeah. So I mean, that's kind of cool. It's interesting. It's just white barbershops are not the same thing at <laughs> that all. That may be it. You yeah. just go to get a haircut and you're usually getting your haircut by a woman. And, <laughs> right. You know, you're just kind of like, you know, kind of and feeling maybe even a little fancy for like paying this much for a haircut. At least I do. You know, going to kind of like the foofy Place. Well, how anyway, much do you pay? I don't. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say. Maybe it's embarrassing. I don't want to hear. Like thirty bucks. That's not crazy. In, no. Today, that's not insane. No. Anyway, it's on right. the higher side my for computer, a guy. My computer's about to die, and I do <laughs> not have my charger here. Let me just say one last word. Yeah. Then one last thing. So, another thing that really impressed me in these episodes are the figures of the coaches. Of course. Yeah. You know, oh there are God. those who are extreme, yeah. like on the extremes, there are some who come off as like almost comically macho and sort of over the top. But 
actually I found myself impressed with a lot of them, especially like in the in the New Orleans setting and some of the other ones that were a bit like, you know, let's be honest, communities where a decent amount of the players, maybe the dad's not in the picture or like, you know, lower income communities here are male figures in their life, like holding them totally accountable and demanding total devotion and perfection. Like, at least for me, that came across in a fairly powerful way is like, it's easy to caricature this as a kind of over, you know, over macho, whatever. But there's also something um, kind of deep and important about it, especially for kids who need that kind of thing. It's like, you can see what happens when a team comes together it's a powerful thing. And these coaches have quite a bit of influence and power and at their best really can provide something that might be otherwise almost totally lacking in a lot of these kids' lives, like some real teaching, some real holding someone to a very high standard. That's a very valuable thing. I was impressed by that. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, my uh, very quickly, I know you got to run Ted, but my, I've said this before, I think my next door neighbor played wide receiver at Michigan and he's a, you know, black guy, black family. And he and his, his brother also played D one receiver somewhere. So like we asked and, and they, they grew up without a father in the home type situation. And so like my wife was talking, like they come, they come over a lot and we hang out a lot at our pool. Anyways, once his mom was there and my wife was just asking like, hey, what did you do to raise like two really great guys? Like what what was it? Because they grew up in hard circumstances. And anyways, she was like, very simple. Um, God and football. Mm-hmm. It was like church and football. Like those are the rocks. She was like, you got to get them playing football. And, he, and I was like, oh, wow. Like that's. It's very different, but it makes sense in terms of two places that are like have provide a certain structure and in a certain direction that maybe you wouldn't get elsewhere. And obviously, not everyone's good enough to play football. You have you have to have skill too. But I see like they have all they have three boys just like we do, and they're all playing tackle football at a fairly young age. And not that they're all expecting them to go professional, but just like that is the way to learn. Like it's a way to learn how to work hard, work as part of a team, et cetera. All right, dudes. I think we got to sign off. Yep. But thank you for a great season. Uh, Thank you you for just you two, not the Detroit Lions. Yeah. Thank you for an absolutely (laughs) shitty season. Yeah. uh, For helping us through it. And, uh, Here's looking forward to an even worse 2021 Lions season. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? I want to say that as much as the Lions sucked, I thought the podcast actually was overall pretty good, if I may say so. <laughs> and that, I, you know, I think it's a I, I listen to our podcast and I think it's entertaining. You know, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I wouldn't I, you know, I, I do enough stuff to know if something is boring or not. You know, like I genuinely like it. I think. Uh, I think Ted taking over his post was a a good move. That was, you know, that really improved things. So well done. Well done, Roraholics. Well done, guys. Stay healthy. Stay safe. I'm literally logging off because my computer's dying. Farewell. Bye, guys. (laughs) And there you have it. And then there were two.
<laughs> you, were you following all that craziness today? The storming of the Capitol? Um, yeah, not as closely as... Wait, hold on one second. I got to stop this. There we go. Yes, I want to...